Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Good morning, everyone. It really is great to see you this morning. Thank you for making the effort uh, to be here. I know this, it's kind of like the first nice weekend we've had in months and months, and I was sure everybody was going to vacate. And uh, so, but we're glad that you're here this morning. And for those who are um, here for the first time, my name is Donald. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm part of a staff that really does love uh, serving this incredible church family. And so we want you to know, to all of our guests, we are thrilled to have you here. And so thank you for sharing part of your weekend with us. You know, one of the things that I, I have read and discovered that for those who are guests, um, if they don't connect with somebody, they kind of get the impression it's not a friendly church, right? And you come, if you can come through those doors and leave and really not talk to anybody, you just walk away thinking, hmm, not a friendly church. And so I just wanted to give, I just thought this would be great for our own church family. That after the service, before we rush to, to connect with one of our friends, that we would just look around us, right? Not like 60 feet away from us, but you know, you know, five to 10 feet just around our circle and just see if there's somebody there that you don't know. And just go over and introduce yourself. You don't have to ask if they're brand new because they might say, no, I've been coming here for 40 years. Right? So you don't have to say that, but you can simply say, hey, I don't think I've met you before. My name, oh, my name is Donald. I've been here for 18 months. And they may say to you, hey, I've been coming for 25 years. Well, you can high five them, say happy silver anniversary. You know, you must like it here. But maybe, just maybe they might say, well, actually, this is my first time or my third time. Uh, I'm pretty new here. And this is your opportunity then to engage in a conversation, just to get to know them a little bit and thank them for being here. And then don't leave it there. Uh, Take the opportunity to call a couple of your friends over and introduce them. That's how people start feeling that they're getting a little bit connected. Instead of being able to come right through our doors and then go back out and nobody connects. So we really do. It's part of our mission, isn't it? To connect people to Jesus and to one another. And so uh, as a church family, we need to be on the alert. And uh, so I just want to encourage you that uh, when service is over, just look around your circle and see uh, if there's somebody that you don't know that you can connect with. Now, if you are new, as Pastor Dave was saying earlier, would love to encourage you just to stop by our uh, Connect Center out in the uh, foyer where we have some people that would just love to chat with you, get to know you a little bit. And you may have some questions about who we are, where we're going. It's a great place uh, to start. And there is a a gift card that you can use today, actually, in one of our local establishments, just uh, for stopping by the desk. I also want to welcome those who are watching online this morning. I I realize a lot of people, uh, when they're investigating a church, that's the first place that they'll go. They'll check it out online. Like, what kind of a place is it? And so um, we hope that one day, after a while, that those who are watching online would join us in person right here at our campus. Uh, it's, uh, you can't always catch what happens in a room just online. So, and then for those who are maybe watching from out of town, if you ever find yourself in Sarnia, we'd love to have you stop by uh, for a visit. Well, have you, well, before I even get to this, I just noticed some people with uh, Toronto Maple Leaf jerseys on. I just noticed that. Like, there. There's this unfulfilled dream, and uh, they're hanging on for hope. And uh, oftentimes I thought on Wednesday nights we should be praying for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but uh, anyway. Have you ever um, had to work on a project 
and you didn't know where to start. You know, maybe you're in school or college, you know, high school, and you have to do a paper. And you have a blank piece of paper, a pad of paper, and it's just blank. You don't know where to start. Or maybe you're on your computer and you have a, you know, blank computer screen. And you're like, I, I, I don't even know where to start. Or, you know, maybe you've got all the supplies. You're going to do a renovation. You've got all the supplies. And um, you're like, I don't know where to start. I got all this stuff, but I, it, it's so overwhelming that you don't know where to start. Well, actually, um, this week, I was having this, um, this emotional breakdown, because I was like, okay, where do I start? And here's what I was struggling with, okay? Let me just, I was going to write on the board. I thought, I thought of our church, and I thought, okay, in our church, on a Sunday morning, we have in, right here, we have junior high students, right? Junior high we have senior high, we have college, we have, there's also millennials, right, millennials, I think that goes up to like 35, then we have those 35 to 55, then we have 55 to 75, which are those baby boomers, then we got the 75 and older, which is considered the greatest generation that ever lived, right, we got those groups, and so I thought, okay, I am supposed to get up there and talk to a junior high, a senior high, a college, a millennial, uh, uh, midlife crisis people, just joking, uh, baby boomers, and 75. I mean, really, it's so overwhelming. And then I started thinking, and then, of course, there'll be some people here that don't know the Lord. They're just investigating things out. There's those who are brand new Christians. Then there are those who are kind of halfway through their, their journey in Christ. And then there's the mature Christian. And I was just like, I'm quitting. I don't have a clue in the world what I'm doing. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, you know what? This morning, what we're going to talk about actually does cross the divide. What we're going to talk about is something that no matter what age you are at, you'll be able to connect with uh, what I'm talking about. Because, as I said before, many times when I look at this, I think, okay, now if I was to talk about marriage, these people are going to yawn. They're going to like, uh, I'm not ready yet. These people are like, uh, done it, did it, right? And so, the, well, then maybe they talk about divorce. And you go, well, these people will say, will it help me with my girlfriend breakup? Because if it's not, I'm not interested, right? And then these people over here are like, yeah, we've been together for 60 years. We're not even thinking about it. That's not, that's not for us. And, you know, if you talk about maybe sex, then this perks up, they perk up, they perk up, they perk up, right? <laughs> And these people are like, yeah, I know all about that stuff, right? <laughs> so you do understand the challenge, right? You understand the challenge uh, one has <laughs> with this. But this morning, I do think there are, what we're going to talk about is something that all of us, at one time or another, can completely uh, relate to. Um, we are in a series called Done. In fact, we're in week four of Done. And this series has all been based on those last words of Christ. You know, just before he breathed his last breath, Jesus said, well, in the Greek, the Greek language, tetelestai, which means it is finished. It's done. It's complete. Nothing left to do. And so what we've been trying to discover, what was done? When he said that, it is finished. What was finished? What was he referring to? To be done. 
Well, everything that you and I ever needed to be in a relationship for, with God on that day was done. Anything that you and I ever needed to have our sins forgiven on that day was done. Everything that you and I ever needed to have purpose in our life was done on that day. Any, everything that you and I ever needed to, to in, experience the mercy of God was done on that day. Everything that you and I ever needed to, to know what grace is was done on that day. And Jesus says, everything that I came to do, I've accomplished. I, I finished it. And now we're beginning to look at the results. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of diving into this word grace. Uh, grace is so familiar. We use it in church circles all the time, as I've said before. We sing songs about grace, like amazing grace. We call our children, little girls, Grace, Gracie. Right? Uh, people use it as uh, greetings, grace and peace be unto you. It's all through kind of the New Testament. So it's a very familiar word. And, and though we may be able to give a good definition, which we talked about last week, you know, as a kid growing up, we had that acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. So sometimes we can give a good explanation. Sometimes um, we can see it displayed and we might be able to explain it. But until we experience it, I don't know we really know what grace is. Truly, what grace is. One of the things that I do know is that grace, I don't know how many people remember, remember their um, algebra days, but grace, okay, is greater. So grace Oh, for you people over there, can you see this? Sorry about that. Hi over there. Just pretend, okay? I wrote the word grace on here. Sorry about that. So grace, when I thought about grace, what is grace greater than? Well, the first thing that came to my mind, I thought, well, obviously, grace is greater than sin. Grace is greater than our hurts, right? Grace is greater than our circumstances, we know that. Grace is greater than our regrets. Right? Regrets. Grace is greater than... You think of it? What about shame? Grace is greater than our shame. Grace is greater. Now, there's, there are times that people don't think this. They think this is greater than that. They reverse those signs. But grace is greater. Grace impacts you to your very, very core. When you've experienced grace, it's not, a, it's not something surface. It actually goes down to the core of who you are. Sometimes, you know, we'll be here singing, and every now and then you'll see maybe somebody raise their hand, you know, while we're singing. And, uh, and sometimes it's because people are so overwhelmed but what God has done with them, and they're listening to a song, and they read the words, and they're like, oh my goodness, that's me. And they're overwhelmed by the grace of God. Grace is like when you have been given a life sentence in prison, and then someone comes along and pardons you and sets you free. That's, that's, that's be kind of grace. Grace would be like when, when you, have, um, you have racked up such a debt there is no way you'll ever get out of it. 
and someone comes along and writes a check and says, paid in full. That would be grace. Grace would be like if you have been diagnosed with a deadly disease and somebody comes around, I have the cure. And you get a new release on life. That's grace. And here's what I know about grace. Sometimes grace gets really messy. What do you mean Donald can get really messy? I mean, grace is it's, it's a nice concept. Grace is such a, a beautiful thing. I, I love grace. What do you mean grace can be messy? I love it. Well, grace is great and it's lovely and it's beautiful until it comes to somebody who has berated us. Then all of a sudden, hmm. Grace is great until our spouse, spouse walks out on us. Grace is great until, well, one of our co-workers lies about us. Grace is great until a family member mistreats me. I mean, grace is great until a neighbor maligns me. Grace is great and, until a company gets rid of me. You understand how sometimes it gets messy. Grace is a beautiful thing when we receive it, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, it gets messy when we have to give it. And sometimes it's because of something that was done in our childhood and it just flashes back in our head, right? Something, maybe something from college life that uh, it just pops back up in your mind. Something that happened a long time ago. You know, maybe it's something at school. Maybe you're bullied at school. You know, grace is a great thing. I love going to church and singing about grace, but until I get bullied at school, then, oh my goodness, that's, that's a different story. Or maybe uh, grace is a great thing until someone humiliates me in front of my colleagues or classmates. You know, grace is a wonderful thing until someone violates me. Or abandons me. You know, grace is a great thing until I've been rejected. Maybe by my girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse. It can get messy at times. And there's this very interesting story that Jesus tells. And um, it's found actually in the the book of Matthew. And it's asked by one of his disciples. And it's, it's a great question that he asked. Jesus. And, and if I had been there when this question was asked, I would have been right on my edge of my seat wanting to know what is the answer to the question. It's a great question. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Here's what I, I've come to know. The extent that we give grace reveals the extent that we have received grace. The litmus test for the reality of the gospel in your life is the extent into which you can give grace and forgiveness to a person who has hurt you the most. Grace. Matthew chapter 18, for those who maybe find the Bible fairly new, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Bible's divided in Old Testament, New Testament. Matthew's one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, 
uh, Luke and John. Matthew chapter 18. Let's pick it up actually in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he has sinned against me? Now, where's that question coming from? Well, if you actually go back up in verse 15, there, there's a question, there's a conversation going on. They're saying, what happens if a brother sins against me? What should I do? Uh, should I go talk to John and Mary and Susie and my neighbor and my... And Jesus says up in 15, he says, no, actually, if someone sins against you, your responsibility is just go and talk to that person. Don't go be spreading talk. Don't be talking to all your neighbors and friends. You go directly to that person and see if you can get it corrected. So then Peter comes up with another question. He says, okay, but, but how many times should I forgive somebody if, if they have offended me or hurt me or rejected me or humiliated me? Like, how many times, Lord? I think it's a great question. I think it's a great question that Peter is asking here. And, and I think when Peter is asked the question, I think he's feeling quite confident because he's going to give an answer. He's going to answer his own question. Because it says here, how many times, Lord, shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? I think Peter, I really think Peter was expecting Jesus to come up and go, put his arm around him and go, disciples gather around. Look at this guy. He is, he is a keener. Seven times he's willing to forgive uh, somebody. And why it's so extravagant when you maybe first, for those who are in that, uh, in that conversation, is because in that day, rabbis taught that you were obligated to forgive three times. So if someone offends you, forgive them. If they offend you again, forgive them. If they offend you again, forgive them. If they offend you the fourth time, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You do not have to offer any forgiveness. And so Peter's like, okay, um, so, you know, three times, I'm going to double it and add one. Surely I will rise. I will be like one of the chief disciples. Like, people are going to be like, Peter, Peter, where'd you get that from? You're so spiritual, Peter. And so I I think Peter's really expecting uh, Jesus to compliment him uh, on his answer. And, and when Peter is talking, I, I, I was wondering, I wonder if Peter has somebody in mind. I wonder when Peter asks that question, a face pops up. And he goes, okay, that guy, he's offended me so many times. Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Because I think in his mind, he's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm getting to the limit. And he asks that question, how many times am I, am I to forgive? And sometimes we ask the same question. Seriously? You're telling me I've got to forgive that person again? Well, let's uh, just see what he says here. Jesus answered, I tell you, no, 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 Peter. Not, not seven times. But uh, some translations say 77 times. Some say 70 times seven. Like, you don't count, Peter. You stop counting. Which I think probably blew everyone out of the water. Because I think everybody wants to know how far is too far? When is enough enough? 
And I think Peter thinks surely seven times is plenty. I have been extremely generous. And then Jesus comes up with this number, um, 70, 70 times seven, like 490 times. In other words, you don't count, Peter. You don't count. But when is it that these become greater? When, Lord, I think what we're asking, I think what they're saying, what Peter's asking, surely, Jesus, there comes a time when this has got to be greater. Jesus, surely, sometime, after seven times, this has got to be greater than that grace. I think it seems reasonable. When you read that, you go, Man, I, if I could forgive someone seven times, surely that's got, that's got to be the end. But that's not what Jesus says. Grace is never. Grace is never less than this. Do you understand? Grace, no matter what, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it doesn't get messy. I'm not saying you don't get hurt. But what I am saying is that grace will always be greater. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. But you may say, but Donald, Donald, yeah, that may be good for the small thing, but you don't understand, like, my heart has been really ripped apart. Like, surely there's, like, I... Donald, you don't understand the pain, though, that I've actually been. If you knew my story, you would know then this actually can be reversed. The, that greater and lesser sign, if you knew my story. Donald, if you knew my betrayal, if you knew the pain that I'm experiencing, you would then say, oh, yes, I understand for you. Now, if Jesus has said it, I'm convinced it's true. I am convinced it's true. But emotionally, it is really hard to get our arms wrapped around that truth. That we would forgive again. And again. Especially if you're the one who's been affected. By the one who's hurt you the most. And usually the people that hurt us the most are the people that we love the most. Well, let's continue reading. It says here... In verse 23, uh, Jesus jumps into this, uh, and he, um, there's this a CO, you know, um, well, let's just read it. In verse 23, therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, um, well, it's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had had to be sold to repay the debt that he owed. Let's just kind of bring that into modern day. Um, 10,000 talents. Some have suggested that's anywhere from, in current uh, uh, currency, would be anywhere from a 100 to $150 million in today's standards. So here's this man who's got $150 million of debt. 
and the CEO has decided I'm gonna I'm gonna call in all my loans. It's it's payday. And he he brings in this one particular guy, and there's no way he can pay the debt. There's no way. And so in this day and age, one of the ways that they would begin to pay the debt is that you'd be sold into slavery, your wife would be sold into slavery, your children would be sold into slavery, everything you had would be sold, and try to regain whatever money they could get from the debt um, that he owed. And I, and I, I really think this is, is to reflect our standing, by the way, before God. Like, that our debt is so great that there's just no way we can pay off the debt to God. But let's continue reading. In verse uh, 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. Be patient with me. Be patient with me. And I will pay back everything. I don't know how in the world he ever thought he was going to do that. Like, I don't know how he thought I'm going to pay back such an enormous debt. He says, I'm going to try to pay back this debt. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Who does that? (laughs) Who lets someone off the hook who owns $150 million? That's insane. That's, That's crazy. And yet, that's what this master does. He just kind of writes it off. Paid in full. By the way, that's exactly what God did when he sent his son Jesus. The debt was so, our sin debt was so great that no matter how hard we tried to pay that debt off, there was no way that we're ever going to be able to do it. No way. And so God knew that. That's why he did send his son. That's why when he said it is finished, it's done. The debt has been paid. You know, sometimes we get this impression that, well, we're not that bad after all. Like, you know, I, like for instance, myself, I grew up in a Christian home. I did not go through, be honest with you, I didn't go through rebellious stages. I kind of honored my, my mom and dad. I, I was kind of a goody two-shoe. Like, I just wanted to do what was right. But even with all those things, my debt was so great that I could not pay my sin debt. Because here's what I think. I just recall the good stuff, I, and, and maybe I do a few bad things. And sometimes we think that. Well, you know, I, I, I don't do that many bad things, but here's what I do know. God does keep track. And that's why our debt gets so big. See, God knows when our history on our computer has been deleted. And we think nobody else knows. But but God's all that. See, God knows when the exam that we took, we cheated on, but never got caught. But but God knows, because he saw that, actually. You know, the lunch date that we went out with another woman without telling our wife, see, God saw that. We think nobody saw it. But God keeps track. You know that tax receipt that we, or the receipt that we turned in for to get reimbursed as a business expense, and we kind of know it wasn't a business expense. See, God, God sees that. You know, maybe the excessive 
drinking that goes on on the weekend? See, see God sees that. You know, maybe that one item that you got away with by stealing out of the store and you didn't get caught, but God saw it. Like when we were in the back corner and nobody knew that we were gossiping about somebody, but God saw it. You know, when that kind of half-truth, a lie, we call it a little white lie, at the office, and we think, well, it's just a little one, though. God sees that. See, the debt is so huge, and nothing is hid from God's sight. There's nothing. That's why the debt is so huge. And yet Jesus paid that debt. Well, let's continue reading in verse 26 here. Of course, the, fir- uh, the servant fell on his knees before him, patient with me, right? He's begging him for his life. And of course, 27, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I've never heard of such a thing. Then in 28, it says, but when the servant went out, here's a man who's been just been forgiven of a debt that he could never pay. Then it says... But when the servant went out, he found out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. These words will be very familiar. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay you back. He He just spoke those words. I don't know if it's a day later. I don't know if it's a couple hours later. But someone has basically said the exact same thing he just said a few minutes ago. He's experienced grace. He's gone looking for somebody. He's choking him and telling him, listen, you pay up, buddy. And then it says in verse 30, but he refused. What? It says he refused. He has just been forgiven of an enormous debt. And now he's refusing. Do you know in, in today's standards, they said that would be like 20 bucks. I actually heard someone say, it's actually $17. So you're telling me this man who was forgiven $150 million can't be gracious enough to forgive somebody who owes him $17. It's, it's so wild. It's so like, this is crazy. What kind of story is this? And Jesus has a point he is trying to make here. So, so what does he do? He asked for forgiveness. He says, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called this servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, it says his master turned him over to the jailkeepers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. You know what? There was no way he was going to pay that debt. There's no way that he's going to be sitting in prison and pay back a $150 million debt. That's a debt that will never get paid. So 
So his colleagues, his friends, saw how he was responding to somebody. They were outraged by it, and they went and talked to the boss. They couldn't believe that he could not extend to someone else a forgiveness of something so insignificant after he had been forgiven of something so great. Community, like what we try to build here, doesn't work if we only receive and never offer. Do you understand? You cannot build a community if we just only receive the grace of God, but we never give it out. It's a big problem when we're ungracious. In this story of grace, there's this call to to a, a righteous outrage. And and I really think, I think as a church, I do. I, I think as family, we should be outraged when we see our own people if, if we don't extend grace. I think our ears should perk up. I think we go, we go and talk to that person. What, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know, when I think of maybe us, if we become a little too judgmental, maybe a little too much gossiping, or we, we, get, we become ungracious to those who come through our doors who do not look like us, do not smell like us, do not talk like us, and we are ungracious. We cannot just receive it without giving it out. If we don't give it, do you know what happens? It happens over and over again. We have, we have centuries that we can look back. When we don't extend grace, this is what happens. Bitterness begins to eat away at us. Resentment and bitterness. It just builds and it builds and it builds. We begin to think, it's not fair. right? To, to us, it's, it's very black and white. They owe me something. They owe me my marriage. Yes, some do. They owe me my childhood back. Yeah. Uh, maybe they owe you money. See, this is where grace gets so messy. We love it when it's applied to us. But boy, it gets quite challenging when we have to offer it to others. And... Here's what I know. You will never, you will never be asked to give more than what you have received. God never asks you to give more than what he has given to you. $150 million debt was paid for. And this guy couldn't even forgive a guy to owe him 17 bucks. The extreme. And that's what happens when we, when we take our eyes off of our own sinfulness and we only see the sin of someone else I, I love this quote listen to this it's by Jean Leroux if the biggest sinner you know isn't you then you don't know yourself very well can I say that one more time if the biggest sinner you know isn't you then you do not know yourself very well And that's true. 
in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm a blasphemer. He uses the word, I'm a blasphemer. I'm a persecutor. He says, I'm a violent oppressor. Or he says, I was. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent oppressor. He goes on to say, I am the worst of the worst. I am the chief of sinners. When I first read that, I go, come on, Paul, get serious. Is that, is that a display of false humility, Paul, when you say that? Like, seriously, you're the chief of sinners, really? The man who gave his life to, to spread the gospel uh, all through Europe? You're telling me the man who was shipwrecked time and time again, the man who was tortured and put in prison and starving and... Na- like, really, you're the... Really, you're the chief? And as I was reading that, he didn't say, I was the chief, by the way. He says, I am the chief. It was current. Like he recognized his own sinfulness. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Grace is greater than any repayment that you'll ever get. Forgiveness comes, we think, forgiveness comes when that person makes it right with me first. That's when I'll. And then when they do, we say, I forgive them. But really, that's, that's more justice than grace. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled a debt that was so massive that it should have changed his life radically. Grace does not mean you will not get hurt or there will not be pain. That's where sometimes I think we get confused. Well, it's grace. But grace gets messy. And grace is no guarantee that you will not get hurt or there won't be pain. I said these things last weekend. The wrap up said grace is greater. See, grace is greater than your hurt and your and your pain, it's greater than your circumstances and your sin and your regrets and your shame. Grace is also greater than the diagnosis that you have been given. And grace is greater than the childhood experience that you've had to live through. And it's greater than the secrets that you've kept all your life hoping that nobody would ever find out. And it's greater than the addictions that you battle today. Grace may not heal your dying husband, but grace will hold you up. Grace may not be able to heal your cancer, but grace will carry you through. That's grace. Grace may not be able to rescue you from your circumstances, but it can redeem your circumstances. That's grace. No matter how often you've failed, no matter how often you've, you have messed up, grace is greater. It is greater. See, grace has nothing to do with who we are or what we've done. It's, it's about what Jesus has done for us. And he paid a debt that was so 
massive that each one of us owed. I mean, just, just try to process it in your own mind. If you were given a bill that says you need to pay $150 million, you'd be overwhelmed because you'd, there's no way. How, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. See, grace takes all the control out of your own hands. That's what grace does. And grace is powerful enough to erase your guilt. And grace is big enough to cover your shame. And grace is real enough to heal your relationships. And grace is strong enough to hold you up when you're weak. And grace is sweet enough to cure your bitterness. And grace is beautiful enough to redeem your brokenness. And grace is satisfying enough to deal with your disappointments. As I said last week, you may have given up on grace, but grace has not given up on you. And grace is more than a definition. Grace is an experience. And the story of your life can be, grace is greater. Grace is wild. Grace messes up your hair. Uh, Grace cannot be tamed. There's nothing more difficult to get our minds wrapped around what grace is. And in so many ways, it offends us at our deepest level because it takes all the control from us. We get frustrated sometimes. But grace wrestles all the control out of our hands. And grace is radical. And grace makes no sense. And grace is counterintuitive. All of our lives, we have been built with you accomplish, then you will be accepted. That's what we've been told all of our life. You achieve, then you'll be approved. But grace is not a two-way love. It's a one-way love. And grace seeks you out when you have nothing to return, to give in return. And grace is being loved even when we're unlovable. Grace is not about what we can do. It is the unveiling of what Jesus has done for us. Hopelessly indebted. And then the master came and erased the debt that we owed. And that was just pure grace. And that's the grace that God offers to all of us this morning. You may find yourself here this morning. And if you're true to yourself... And you really look down and say, you know, if you don't know God or Jesus, or yourself, you know you have fallen short. And that's why, that's why Jesus came. And that's why he could say, when his life was over, when he took his last breath, he could say, it's finished. The payment has been paid. And so my challenge to you this morning, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you need to know today that debt has been paid for you. Would you receive him as your savior today? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for incredible life stories like we've just read here. And Lord, we, we see the story where Jesus was with his disciples, and it seems so extreme, this story. And, and then when we dive into it, we realize it is an extreme story. Because what God has done was extreme for us. And so God...
our prayer this morning would be truly if there's one here that does not know Jesus as their Savior God we pray that they would give their lives to you today they wouldn't wait one more minute but that they would surrender their life that they would invite you in and Lord we know the truth is that the Bible says those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved as simple as that and so I believe, Lord, there would be people here this morning that need to call on you. Lord, there's some here this morning that are, are lost, are lonely, struggling to keep it all together. And God, they just need to surrender all that to you. So Lord, even in the quietness of this moment, I pray that they would cry out to you and invite you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. And Lord, we know that in a twinkling of an eye, in a, in a moment, our lives can be transformed by the power of Christ. We're thankful for that. And then Lord, maybe here this morning, we there are those who are Christians, those who have called on Jesus, but are struggling to extend grace to those who have really hurt them. And Lord, we don't want to look at it that it was insignificant we know some of these hurts have been extremely painful extremely hurtful and so Lord our prayer is that those things they could just cast onto you you told us that when things weigh us down the burdens and anxiousness and anxiety that we if we just we can cast them at your feet because you care for us and so Lord I just pray that we would be able to unload that onto you God, so thankful that we can experience your presence with us here this morning. Thank you that you're alive and well. And that you're continuing to do in a work in our church family, in our city, in our country. We, we see where God is on the move and we're so thankful that we can be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen.